It's uh, great to be out here at Parkview North this morning. My name is Doug. I'm one of the pastors at Parkview, and um, I have the privilege of, of uh, preaching today with you guys. So uh, I just concur with what Sheldon said. It's just been beautiful just seeing the partnership just continuing to grow out here, and I'm very grateful to get to preach to you today. So I don't know what's been going on in our culture, but it seems like fall is becoming a more and more popular time for weddings. I don't know if you notice that, especially bi-week weekend. So the Parkview family has had five, we've put on five weddings in the last three weekends. So I got the privilege of doing two of those. I've done 80-ish or more in my career. There's a couple of couples here that I've done, so it's good to see you guys. I'm glad the knot is still tied tight. That's awesome. Um, so, but um, I just was thinking through the other day, out of all those weddings, like, we had a blooper happen at one of mine two weeks ago. The wedding started 90 minutes late, and uh, it was because of a hairdresser. Like, I had no idea. I learned so much about wedding behind the scenes on that weekend. It's like, come on, what's going on? Well, the hairdresser is still doing hair. It's like, great, what is that, five minutes, ten? Like, for me, that's like a five-minute deal, right? And so, or it was like, so whose hair? Because if it's a bridesmaid, it's going to be, honey, I'm sorry, but like... Uh, we got to get this show going. So you can go up with your hair as is or there'll be a blank spot. I mean, those were my kind of responses. But unfortunately, it was the bride and still needed her hair. And then I heard, well, and then her makeup has to be done. I go, good. What's that, like three, four minutes? A little eyeshadow. And so it's like, no, that's a process. So it's getting, it's getting pushed back more and more and more. Finally, it's like, well, she's got to put her dress on. I go, sweet. We're a minute out, right? They go, no. Like, that's like a 15-minute deal or whatever. I had... I learned so much about that side of the wedding. I've never been on that side of the wedding before. So, and it was hard. Like we finally, we went out to the people. We were 35 minutes late. And I'm sure they're starting to wonder. And I had to say, look, okay, here's what's going on. She's doing fine. She's here. She's healthy. She's in love. She's going to get married. Same for him. Like he's here. He's on time. He's ready. He's in love. It's nothing about the couple and it's nothing about the church. We're here. Trust me, we're ready. Uh, but I did not throw hairdresser under the bus. So we just said there's some, you know. And so for that, we released the people actually for 30 minutes and said, why don't you come on back in 30 minutes and we'll start this. So felt like we had people on an airplane on the tarmac, like in the flights getting delayed. One of our guys was handing out chips to the kids. And so, so that was a blooper. It made me think of a couple other bloopers. There was one time in the middle of the ceremony, I'm up there and we get to the part about the rings. I go, can I have the rings? And one of the oldest jokes is the group, you know, groomsman turns to the best man. Oh, I don't have them. And, you know, usually you're ready for something like that. But literally, like at that point of the service, the bride looks at me and goes, they're at my house. Like, and so I didn't know what to do. So I asked the sound guy to cut off my mic and we just did a quick huddle on the stage. And I hate to admit my idea was bad. Like I, my thought was, let's just pretend like who can tell this far away if there's actually (laughs) rings or not. And so the wedding would have started out with deception. That was a bad idea. So, but an amazing genius idea, shockingly that it came from the guy's side was one of the groomsmen said, do it at the reception. It's like genius. So we just said to everybody, we're going to exchange rings at the reception. Beautiful. That was, that was perfect. Maybe a third one. And you guys said I did your wedding, so I'm not going to, there's nothing, I can't, couldn't remember anything from yours. So I'm not going to throw Aaron and Brandy under the bus or anything like that here. So, but a third one is like, we were getting ready to go out. And I usually pray with the guys before we go. 
And the groom just was white as a sheet. He goes, Doug, I got to throw up. I just got to go. Peter's like, oh, great. You're like, how do we get this done? I said, hey, we can make this real short. We can just go out and go, I do, I do, and just get this going. He goes, nope, just let me go puke, and I'll be fine. And, and he did, and he came back. He goes, okay, I'm good to go. Just it happened to me all the time in wrestling. Like, I would get really pumped up before a match. I go puke, and then I'm fine. So, and fortunately, somebody, even from Guy's side, thought of a breath freshener before he went out. So that first kiss was good, all right? So... <clears throat> Anyway, so all that. We'll stop with those, but there is a point to all those. So um, the two I just got to do, just like all of them, it's so cool because you get to meet with the couples, you get to know them, and there's a couple times where you talk about family backgrounds, and usually that's a big issue. And so a lot of times in Iowa City especially, um, you don't know the background. You don't know the families because these people met here at the university or that kind of thing. So the, the rehearsal... And the wedding itself is a great chance to meet the family that these people came from. And so you'll see, like, and you've already heard some of them, like good and bad, about, you know, previous marriage that they were raised in and all that. But you'll see traits. Like, you'll see, like, okay, boy, the groom looks a ton like his dad. Like, that is amazing. Like, mannerisms and all of that. And the same thing on, on her side and all of that. And just how, how a lot of times we just bear the resemblance of those that we've spent a lot of time with. And so in this series, we're talking about the traits of a disciple. We're talking about if we are truly a people and a church that is pursuing Jesus and spending a lot of time with Jesus, we're going to become more and more like him. Like, that's the whole idea here is that we're all becoming more like Christ. And so this fall, that's what we've been talking about. We're, we're one church meeting in three locations, but can we be unified on what we're pursuing here? Like, we're all trying to become more and more like Christ. And that's basically what discipleship is. And so today we're going to talk about a trait that uh, I think of all of them, if Jesus had to just narrow it to one, he said, and we're going to see in our verse today, that if you have this trait, like wherever you go on this planet, whoever you interact with, like whatever culture, whatever country, whatever square into this planet you're living in, you are going to stand out as my disciple. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn to John 13, and we're going to read verses 34 and 35. And so this is where Jesus is talking to his disciples. There's a sense of urgency in this conversation. He is, just shortly after this conversation, going to be arrested, put on trial, crucified, and then rise again from the dead. So from John 13 to 17, you see Jesus spending some very urgent moments with his disciples. All right, And it's in that context he tells them this, A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So clearly the trait is love. Jesus is saying, by this, people will know that you follow me, is if you have love for one another. So love is a huge theme in the Bible. It's over 800 times mentioned in the Bible. And so today that's going to be our focus And we did this in two parts. We did it in two weeks. In fact, in this verse, you can kind of see there's two parts to this. There is a love one another part that we talked about last week. But I get the privilege this morning of just pounding you guys with the love of God. Because the first part of this whole step is not that, okay, uh, Parkview North Church, just go out there and love each other. Just uh, crank it out. And with the best that you got, just pour love on each other. It's like, no, no, no. There's a catch here. There's a newness to this command that we're going to dig into this morning. And Jesus says, it's as I have loved you. 
Like, so that's where we're going to look this morning. It's like, what, let's tear that phrase apart. What does it mean uh, for us to love as we have been loved? So I have that privilege. And what we'll see today is Jesus' love transforms us, it empowers us, and then it unleashes us to love each other. All right? So let me pray, and we'll jump into this. So, uh, Jesus, this uh, verse, these verses, this theme is just crucial to your heart. And I believe if we were to ask you, what, what do you want us to do, Jesus, as, as Parkview North? What do you want us to do as families, as neighbors, as co-workers tomorrow as we head into our week? What, what do you want to be true about us? And I think you would start here. I want you to love. But I pray, Jesus, today that you would back that up a step and that you would remind us of the richness and the depth of your love for us. So do that now, God, for my friends here, this church, uh, this family. Speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, we're going to see first that Jesus' love transforms us. And it says, Jesus said he gave us a new commandment. And I don't know if some of the disciples would have paused and said, wait a minute, Jesus, you just said love one another. That's not new. That's in Leviticus 19.18, if some of them knew their Old Testament. And there's other places the Old Testament talked about loving each other. But the newness here is in that short phrase, as I have loved you. That's what's fresh here in this teaching. And shortly after this, even though in our Bible it's like maybe a page turn, to John fifteen nine, It may have literally been just moments later as Jesus is teaching through uh, this section of the Bible. In John fifteen nine, Jesus said this, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. I mean, just stagger on that for a second. Like, just, just, just dwell on that. that. The love that Jesus is showing us is the love that he has received from his Father. That is, that is an amazing love, you guys. And so, To help us really understand Jesus' love, we're going to look at it kind of from three angles. The first is, uh, who is the one loving us? Who's the one that says here, uh, as I have loved you? So the one who is saying that is crucial because whoever is saying that is the one that's going to deliver love to you. So some of you guys know I have a black lab named Bubba. And Bubba loves me. I'm convinced of that. Like every day, he's just super excited to see me. Um, regardless really of how I've treated him or spent any time with him or not, his love language is licking. So like wherever I sit, he loves to find his way over to me and just start licking my arm or leg or whatever. It's kind of disgusting. So, and the other thing he loves to do for me is retrieve balls. Like that's, and I, I think if he could do more, like I just see in his eyes, man, he just adores me. And, and, but if he could, if I could teach him to do chores, if I could teach him to vacuum, I think he would do it. Like he's just got that heart, but just... Bubba can only love me to a certain extent, right? And so there's Bubba's love. You know, now, a pastor, like I could say to you guys, man, I just love you guys. Like I, I pray for this church. Uh, I love Josh and Stacy. I pray for them and their leadership here and just you guys that I know out here. But, but even that, like that, yeah, that's cool and that's good. But, but I can only deliver so much. But just what should blow us away this morning is the one who is saying, I love you. Okay, he is the greatest one that has ever walked this planet. He is the greatest lover that has ever walked this planet. And what's so cool about Jesus is that his love isn't all that he has. Like if you look at all the qualities, all the attributes of Jesus, love is one of them. 
But it's not like love fights against all the other attributes of Jesus. It's like love is right in the middle of all these other attributes. And it's through those attributes that he just pours love on his people. So let's just throw, we could talk about Jesus all day long. I I could, but we'll just, we'll keep it brief. But like, here's a few things. So Jesus is the creator and sustainer of all things. Like he, he, he is all powerful. No one says to Jesus, you can't do that. So when Jesus says, I love you, nothing stops him in loving you. Nothing holds him back. Nothing slows him down. He's able to just unabashedly, with all authority, just pour love onto his people. Nothing stops him. He is unstoppable in his love for you. Um, God is omnipotent. Jesus is, again, without limit. He's infinite. So it's not like one day he's going to come up to you and go, oh, stink, I'm all out of love. I'm sorry, I just, I overspent. I was too loving to you last month, and I'm out now. So you have to wait till I build some back up. Like he's infinite in his love. Um, he's eternal. He, he never really had a beginning. He's never going to have an end. And so that means his love will never stop. There's no time limit here. It's no longer, you know, as long as he's on the throne or in office or, you know, really in love with you. No, this is like eternal. Nothing's going to stop this love. Um, he's righteous in his love. That means he's perfect. There's no manipulation. He's not trying to get something from you. He's not trying to scam you. He just loves you. He's gracious. That means he loves the undeserving. Like God, it's, the more and more that I'm counseling with people and talking about why God seems distant, this is a huge one for people. Like, I don't deserve this. Like, what? gosh, this was so, it just broke my heart. There was a dad in my office a few weeks ago that's climbing out of this hole of addiction and just a, a horrific past. And he's doing some amazing things now. And he said to me, I know it's already over for me that you look at all that I've done. There's no way God can forgive me, but I just want to lay down my life so my kids can meet God. So would you just help me know enough about him so that I know I'm doomed, but I want my kids to know God. And I just in tears, like, no, you don't understand the grace of God. He, he loves you. Just like I said, just think about your love right there. You just said for your kids. That is incredibly noble, but that's, that's nothing compared to God's love for you. And so, and so God's love is gracious. God's love is merciful. In your time of confession, you just had, like, uh, to confess your sins to God shows that he's a merciful God, that he allows us to do that, that he's a merciful God, that he hears our sins and then forgives them. So, uh, and he's good. The Bible actually talks about God um, rejoices when we rejoice. Like God has an investment, an emotional investment in how his people are doing. Okay, so again, we could keep going, but just I want you to know that what makes Jesus' love for you so astounding is the one who loves you. In all that he is, he loves you. Okay, so that's, that's one aspect of why, why is the love of Jesus so astonishing. One is because of who loves you. The second one is, <clears throat> is because of the ones being loved. When you really look at the ones being loved, that makes the love of Jesus even more staggering. So, um, so remember in John fifteen nine, where Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so I love you. So for the Father to love Jesus is the ultimate, like, no-brainer, right? Because perfect child, right? Beautiful, holy, like, pleasing to his Father. There's never been rebellion. They have the perfect love relationship. So I, I see when God the Father is loving God the Son, Jesus, you go, well, isn't he the most easily lovable person that has ever been to love is Jesus. But Jesus says, you know what? Just with that same 
flow of love unimpeded by anything, that's the way I love you. Oh my, like we, we don't qualify for that at all. But Jesus said, there's no breakdown. Well, I get 10.0 love from my father, but I'm, I'm giving you some chump change. I'm giving you some scraps. He's saying, no, the exact pleasure and love that I get from my father, I'm just turning around and just giving it all to you. Like that, and so what makes that staggering is who we are. We didn't deserve that. Like we didn't like achieve some kind of test or prove to God. There is nothing attractive in us to a holy God. Nobody in this room, there's nobody that God saw you walk by and go, wow. That's impressive. Like, I could really use that. Like, I'm short here in the Trinity. We just don't have what you've got. Would you consider joining us? Like, it's not that way. It's the complete opposite. Like, we um, are sinful people. Um, It's Romans 5, 8 that says God demonstrates his love for us. And that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Like, while we were rebels opposing him, you know, doing our thing instead of his, treating people our way instead of his way, just ignoring him, being ungrateful to him. Guys, I just think um, on that day, it'll just be brief, but on that day, for those of you who believe in Jesus, when we get to be in heaven, be in the presence of God, I just think for maybe that short instant, we'll go, are you, are you kidding? I, didn't, I had no idea how amazing you were. And just the times that we were ungrateful or ignored him or like I just I think God loves us too much to let us just even linger on that long. But that's the way it's going to be. That's who we are. And in spite of our sin, in spite of who we are, a God has loved us. So there is no evil that the father's love cannot pardon and cover. And there's no sin that's a match for his grace that in spite of who we are, he has loved us. Um, one of the couples I just did the wedding for um, the bride. Um, really got close to these guys. The bride sent me um, a long email like a day or two before, and she was just so excited. They dated seven years. So like, she's like, I'm just ready. Let's just get this going, right? And so she had some things in there about um, her fiancé, now husband, about, Doug, you don't understand how amazing it has been to be so thoroughly known by somebody, especially my flaws, and still be fully accepted. Like, this has liberated me. This has been more than I would have dreamed or imagined. And I just remember reading that, and I, and I know the guy, and he's a great guy, but it's, again, it's like Bubba loving you versus Jesus loving you. Like, just, just what this husband is already doing for his new bride in just their seven years of dating and building a relationship Man, your father in heaven knows you just in and out. I mean, there's, I'm thinking, well, there's things you still have to learn about each other. You're just kind of starting, but that's, that's the beauty of a marriage, too. You just keep getting to know each other, and you keep loving unconditionally. But just at this moment, that love is just, it's a taste. It's just a fraction of the love that God has for you, because it's not just who's loving us, but it's the ones being loved. We don't deserve this, but that's, that's why this love is so astonishing. And if there could be, a, if we needed more, there's a third aspect that just makes God's love so amazing and astonishing. It's the way this love was expressed. The way his love was expressed. It's not just from words. It's not just from, you know, making a beautiful day for you so tomorrow everything goes right. And it, when the Bible defines love for us, the Bible makes a beeline to the cross, to the place where Jesus expressed his love for us. And so let me, there's several we could have pointed to, but 1 John 4, 9 and 10 is an example. In this, the love of God was made manifest to us. Like this is how God shows love to us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, 
Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Because you want to see the ultimate expression of love. You look at what the holy, sinless son of God willingly and joyfully did for sinners like us when he went to the cross. And there was a huge word there, that propitiation. Like most likely you didn't use that word this week. Um, unless you happen to be reading this passage. Um, propitiation is something, and Josh and I didn't confer, um, but we were on the same page in, in what he said earlier. But uh, a propitiation is appeasing the wrath of God. Okay, and so you go, wait a minute, I thought we we're talking about God loves us. He does. But remember in those other qualities, God is holy, God is just. Like it would not be within God's character to see sin and go, oh, that's all right. You know, they've just done a few. Like, I still love them. Like, that wouldn't, that wouldn't be true to who God is in his full character. And so, so in order for God to pour love onto us, something had to happen with uh, this demand for justice from a holy God. And Jesus, in his love for us, stood between the Father and us and basically took the ultimate bullet. He took our death that we deserved. He took the punishment that we deserved, the wrath of God at all of the sin of this world, Jesus stepped up and said, I'll take that for them, all right? That, so God's love is, who's delivering it? Who's receiving it? But how is that love ultimately expressed? Um, Jesus doesn't just tell you he loves you. He stood up for us. He stood in our place and took the wrath that we deserve so that we could go without judgment, so that we could be set free from our sin, the power of sin and the penalty of sin could be totally set free to be loved by our Father in heaven. So, you guys, that, what we just talked about for a few minutes, is really the essence of the gospel. It's a description of, of the good, gospel means good news. Like, what's so good about being in church, about knowing God, about reading the Bible? I mean, the essence is this good news that I am so flawed, I am so broken, um, I'm the most sinful man in this room. I don't know all that you guys have done. I look at you guys all look great and nice and all that. You smile and nod and stuff. But like, I know my, I know my life. I know the things I've thought. I know the things I've done. I know the things I've said. So you can fight me for number two in this room, but I'll be number one. I'm the worst sinner I know. We are so flawed and broken um, that Jesus had to die for us. Like our only hope was that the sinless son of God died for us. But, but the other side of that is that we are so valued and so treasured, so loved by God that he was willing to do that. Like that's the essence of the gospel. And guys, that keeps us, I call it a godly swagger. Like that keeps us from being all this about ourselves. Like, yeah, look what I've done. It's like, no, no, no. <laughs> the gospel says we're all broken. Like, so who are we to think we can go around this world and just kind of look down on everybody else? No, no, no. When you're looking up at God in, in his grace and looking up for mercy, you don't have time to look down on anybody else. You're just so aware of the sin in your life, but, that, that, but also that you are so loved by God more than you would ever dream, more than any other love you would find in this planet. And so that sets you free to live with confidence. And so that's, um, that's the transforming love of God. Now, the next two are, are quicker here. Um, that love is so profound. Now, there's two other things. Is now that love uh, empowers us. What God would love for us to now is not just to know these facts in our heads, but to really have them sink into our hearts and just totally change how we live. Like, what if we truly lived like we were thoroughly loved by the creator of this universe, that Jesus came to express the ultimate love for us? How would we live differently 
this week. Um, so go back to John fifteen nine, And we, we read all of this except for one phrase at the end where Jesus said, As the Father loved me, so I have loved you. Then Jesus said these words, Abide in my love. Isn't that cool? Abide in my love. He said, I want you to just live here. I want this to be your refuge. When you think about home in a positive context, that's a place you go to, you let down, you're loved, you're protected. Like Jesus says, out of all the places on this planet, I want you to abide right here. I want you to live in the security and the confidence of my love. This is where I want you to put down your roots. And what's cool is that's not just a one-time statement. And then the Trinity just kind of, oh, I hope, I hope that works out for them. Like, I hope they really do abide in my love. If you look at Romans 5.5, 5, this is how committed God is for us to abide in his love. Romans 5.5 5 says that hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So, a little jump here, um, but the, the moment that you first understand the love of God, that you're a sinner, that Jesus died for you, and you reach out to Jesus to save you from your sin so that you experience the love of God, the moment you do that, you become a Christian, you begin to follow God, and in that moment, God sends his spirit to live in your life, just to live in you. And one of his roles is to continually and constantly and thoroughly just invade and inundate your heart with the love of God. Like just to constantly fill it. And that doesn't mean that we're going to be tuned in with that all the time. Uh, because a lot of times we're distracted. But in those moments where before God we say, God would you just show me your love. God would you just affirm the gospel to me. Would you affirm who you are and who I am. The Holy Spirit of God is right there in you ready to do that. Again, just fully God, all those attributes we talked about earlier about Jesus, Holy Spirit has them, and he lives in you. So you guys, there is a whole new level of living in the love of God that is available to all of us through the Holy Spirit. That's how committed God is for you not to just know his love, but to abide in his love, to have that just radically change how you live your life. And so as Paul was writing the book of Romans, he introduced that to us in Romans 5. But if you continue kind of in that section of Romans, it crescendos in Romans 8, 31 and 32. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all these things? And then you jump down to verse 37. Paul says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life Angels or rulers, things present or things to come, powers, height, depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So guys, this experience is what we're talking about, embracing the gospel. Like to embrace the truth that God has loved me, that the, the gospel is evidence of that, what Jesus did on the cross and so for any of us this morning that are, we're still trying to put this God thing together, or what does it mean to follow Jesus? How do I start a relationship with God through Jesus? It starts right here at the gospel. Again, that you admit sin. You see what Jesus has done for you. You ask Jesus to rescue you. And then, and then once we've done that for all of us, again, the Holy Spirit of God in us to anchor us in this love. All right? And so he wants us to 
deeply abide in this love. All right, so that's what empowers us to now this third point is that people who are loved in that way are now, those are the people now that Jesus is saying, now I want you to go love one another. Like with, with what I have just poured into your life, go, just go share that. Like just, and, and guys, if we get the order right, that should be no problem. Like it's not like, it's, he's not saying like, just crank it out of your own resources as best as you can love people. He's saying, no, as I have loved you, you go love one another. And so um, keep that in order. Remember his love, abide in his love. But then just look at the potential of what could come out of our lives if we truly are people unleashed and propelled by the gospel. So Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says this, therefore be imitators of God. Is that like a hard command? Okay, everybody go create the world. Like imitate God for me, right? Or sustain everything for me. Sustain the planets. No, so it says be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifices to God. So the way we imitate God is to realize we're beloved kids. Like he has loved us. And now he calls us to go and love each other. And I love, um, if you just think about it, the, you think about you in your best days as friend or son or daughter or husband or wife or parent um, or just even at work, like the people that are the hardest for you to love or neighbors, like those days where you are actually doing pretty well and loving them, there's probably some things true about you that day that you're, you're feeling secure. There's a comfort. Um, you're not feeling threatened in any way. You're not afraid of anything. You're just kind of freed up. And that's what God's saying. It's like, you know what? Your every day could be like that when you dwell in my love and I set you free from trying to perform or impress or uh, helping you deal with bitterness or anger with people. Like if you're just so inundated with my love, then you can be propelled to go love as I have loved you. And so maybe you've heard things like this before, but I love descriptions of the early church and the ones that, that were around Jesus and heard these kind of things and then went out and lived their lives. So um, this one's maybe a little later. It's a couple of generations removed from that area. But there's something called the letter to, I always butcher the guy's name, Dognetus. He was a second century uh, writer who's trying to defend Christianity. Because a lot of people are confused. What is this Christianity thing? So listen to how he describes what Christians were living like. It says, they love all men and they're persecuted by all. They are poor, yet they make many rich. They lack everything, yet they overflow in everything. They are spoken ill of, and yet they are justified. They are reviled, but they bless. They are insulted, and they repay the insult with honor. They do good, but they're punished as evildoers. And when they're punished, they rejoice as if they've been raised from the dead. They are assailed by the Jews as barbarians. They are persecuted by the Greeks. And yet those who hate them are unable to give any reason for their hatred. Like, what a beautiful description. And what a, what a, what a time in, the, in the, the history of our country. Like, is there no greater time, it seems, than now for Christians to be known for this kind of love? As there's all kinds of, we see the way everything's being kind of dealt with in our culture today and the, the rising tensions and hatred and anger. Like, what, what a moment, just like for the early church in their moment, of being scrutinized and, and put down and yet to be known above all of that for their love for one another. That's not a love we're going to crank out on our own. That's only a love that we're going to find in Jesus Christ through the gospel. So my prayer for us is that we would truly display the gospel, that with the love of God 
uh, we can truly live without the approval of people because God is for us. That with the love of God, we can truly seek the good of the world that we're called to, not hate this world and not try to avoid the world, but we can move into the world because we are so loved by the Father, just like Jesus did for us. You can love your enemies. You can love those who oppose you. And you can be unleashed uh, to love as you have been loved. So just to wrap up, like just if, if we were to grasp the love of God in a greater way, just let's start small and then get bigger. Like just think about where you live, like your, your home. If, if embracing the love of God, knowing how much God loves you, how that would begin to radically change some family dynamics in this room. You know, uh, kids loving moms and dads, moms and dads patient with kids. Um, the things this would do in a marriage as husbands are called to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Wow, would that add some power and energy in this room? Or just think about us again tomorrow going to workplaces where, oh, we got that boss, or we got, oh, that person I have to work with or put up with or whatever. Again, what if we were to step into those relationships tomorrow as people have been loved by God? Think about this church. You guys are doing great. There's a lot of ways you're being called to serve and step up in new ways. But what if one thing, like let's say six months from now, we were to look for like, what is one descriptor of those people at Parkview North? It's like, man, they, they love each other. Like, I see how they're just deferring to each other. They're caring for each other. And when I step in there, man, I just feel loved. I feel like these people embrace me. Like, just what understanding this love of God would do to this church. And then just think about, um, again, as the early Christians made an amazing statement on their society in a very, very harsh time in those days, yet, yet the gospel spread um, just like wildfire. And what spread it was the love of the believers. It wasn't what they believed. Everybody felt what they believed was crazy. Um, but the way they loved each other and the way they loved their enemies drew people in. Um, our college ministry a couple weeks ago, there's this kid that um, is a freshman, and he just started, started coming to Iowa, doesn't believe in God. But early on, he got linked up with some 24-7 kids. That's the name of our college ministry. So they invited him, said, why don't you just come with us? They have like, community groups, and they have a big gathering on Wednesday nights, and a freshman group. So like, he was going to all three and just last week, he told one of our leaders, this is really weird. He said, I still don't believe in God yet, but, but you guys are helping me get closer. But I've noticed that on my dorm floor and hanging around with people, I'm not really treated that well there. When I go into my classes, nobody talks to me unless the professor breaks us into groups, and we have to talk to each other. But from the moment I've stepped in here, man, you guys are relentless. Like, people are just coming at me, talking to me, inviting me to stuff. Like, this is amazing. And if this is what it looks like to be a Christian, I need to learn more about this. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that awesome? Um, And same, like this whole, um, I'm going to piggyback off of what Sheldon told you earlier about the Global Workers Conference. Um, There there are more Muslims who are beginning to follow Jesus um, just even in the last 10, 15, 20 years than, than in the rest of human history combined. Like as long as there's been an Islam and Christianity. And the biggest attraction to Muslims who are coming to Jesus is this very topic, the love of believers. Um, read a story of a refugee camp um, a couple weeks ago where um, uh, an Arab, a man from an Arab nation was in another country now in this refugee camp. And he said, you know what? I've noticed that the people of my faith, man, they're not doing anything for me. But you guys have done this for me and for my family. 
and I don't know anything about Jesus, but I want to learn about him. Could you, could you tell me more about, because I want to be like that and not like I have been. So again, it's the love of Jesus. And so I'm going to butcher the speaker's name, so I won't even say it. But in two weeks, um, he is the one that you'll hear in the sermon on Sunday morning. He's a man that was converted from Islam and is now following Jesus. And he's helping churches and believers understand how do we more effectively show the love of Jesus to Muslims. So that's in two weeks. And I know a lot of you guys out here are just kind of catching up to how Parfi has done missions. Um, I'm, I'm going to go a little bit long because I want, I want you to hear this part. Okay, so there are three ways that you can really get involved in global things um, through Parkview. So one is um, we live in an area where there are a ton of people from other parts of the world that come here. And it's like 80% of the international students here are from what's called the 1040 window. That's like the part of our world where the gospel has made the least inroads. Like, hello, that's incredibly strategic, Iowa City. We have these folks coming. So, um, and so one thing you'll see and hear a lot about is reaching out to local international students. You can become a friend of an international student. Um, there's something else that's coming up this Friday night. We have a Sudanese population that loves Parkview. Like there's 300 of them that hold three time a year events at, our, at, the, main, at the central campus, right? And so, um, and for those nights to go well, we have a ton of volunteers that just come. My wife and I have done it a few times. All you do is you hang out with kids and play games with them, or you, there's just different ways you can serve. But, but for the last five years, uh, Parfu has been known as a friendly place for this Sudanese community. There was a, 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 a 20-year-old from one of these families who met Jesus last summer, early in the summer, and now there's a Bible study group going in his home with his family and friends, and they're studying the Gospel of John together. Like, that's... We, and, and it's so cool. Like, some of these families tell us, our children say your church is their favorite place in Iowa City to go. Like, isn't that, isn't that cool? The seeds that are being planted in these young kids and families. And so I think you can check online for all that. But Friday night, they go late. That's the painful part. Like, you'll get there at 8, and Sudanese culture, they'll go to 2 or 3 in the morning. I think we've capped that and asked them to be done by midnight or 1. But even if you can only do some of that, that's an example of, like, you don't have to go to Sudan to reach Sudanese. Like, they're just right here, and they love coming and being part of our stuff. So that's something to watch out for. Then you'll hear more things through the Global Workers Conference, too, and supporting uh, these people. But um, so that was my shameless plug for that. But it's not, it's a good, I mean, obviously to, to see God's love go around the world is awesome. So let me pray for us and then we'll, we'll wrap up my part. So